Hi, this is Isabel Anderson of Girls Twiddling Knobs, and I'm this week's guest on Metapod. You're listening to Metapod, where we unpack the web's most interesting podcasts and the stories behind them. Welcome to Metapod. I'm Wendy. Thank you for tuning into this episode. And if this is your first time listening to Metapod, you can find the show on the web at metapodshow.com. This week's guest is Isabel Anderson of the Girls Twiddling Knobs podcast. Isabel is a UK-based musician, recording artist, producer, music tech educator, and mentor. She's also a passionate advocate for creative cultural spaces, especially those that foster supportive, collaborative environments for women and gender minorities to pursue work in music with confidence. Girls Twiddling Knobs is a feminist music tech podcast, and it forms part of Isabel's female DIY musician platform. That's an online community and collection of resources for women learning to record and produce their own music. Isabel has a gift for putting words to the complex and often subtle dynamics that can make creative collaboration with music technology challenging for women. For many women, these dynamics and the feelings resulting from them can be difficult to pinpoint, quantify, or express. In this Metapod conversation, we discuss the position of women in music technology in the broader music industry. Isabel also discusses the often less than desirable work conditions of the industry that effectively act as barriers to entry for women. You can find Isabel's music and other audio work online, and you'll find links in the show notes at metapodshow.com. But first, let's start the tape and hear about the podcast. Hi, Isabel. It's really nice to meet you. Welcome to Metapod. Thank you. It's great to be here. So thanks for joining me to talk about Girls Twiddling Knobs, a podcast that you host and produce. Now, tell us exactly what kind of knobs are we twiddling and to what effect? Yeah, so it's mainly about um, women making music with technology. Um, But that also spills into audio engineering and also women using sound in film and theatre. So it's really women who are using sound and music with technology in creative ways. At what moment did you decide this was a podcast that needed to be produced? Um, I think, you know, it was after a long time of working in the industry myself and then also starting to provide resources for other women who maybe hadn't had um, certainly hadn't had some of the opportunities I'd had to get into this field but also women who were in the field who like me maybe felt um, that there were some conversations missing around not just gender and music tech but just conversations around music tech in general that it's often very much about all the gear Mm-hmm. And there's not as many conversations happening about the kind of human experiences of people working in that industry. And also, um, so maybe surprisingly to people outside of the industry, the creative applications, actually. Um, and I felt like there was a real gap for for those conversations and that I knew I was having them very often with my female 
colleagues and friends and that I knew those were conversations would be a great way for other women to get into it um so that that's I guess that's the why I there wasn't really a kind of it was after a long time of of starting to provide resources and realizing oh a podcast would be a great way to do this so aside from the podcast you're a musician yourself so you're a recording artist a producer an educator a mentor and you have a PhD in something called sonic arts. For those of us who are not musicians or academics, can you say what that is? Yeah, it's basically using sound in artistic ways. So that could be a sound installation, that could be sound design for games and film, but it could also be sound design or designing sound just simply for compositional purposes, just to create music. And you started something called the Home Recording Academy. Can you tell us what's unique about that? And there must be something because it looks like there's a waiting list on the website. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a wait there's a wait list because I only open it twice a year at the most because okay. I deliver it live. So it's an online course for women who want to learn to record their music from home, basically. Um, and it's uh, there's a 10-week live delivery, but women also get um, lifetime access. They get access to a community. So it's um, and, and it's a bit like the podcast in that I've designed it in a way that is, you know, really quite unique, I guess, in comparison to a lot of other music tech courses, and that it doesn't just look at the what of music tech. It looks a lot at the why. Why are you using it? And also, um, crucially for women, why might you have found it difficult to engage in these um, skills and applications and techniques before? Because it's probably not the reason you think it is. If you know, a lot of women will will ingest this idea that it's just that men are better with technology than women. And what I find a lot of the times, it's much more about the culture that we're swimming in. And also the way that the resources resources are organised. So Home Recording Academy is a kind of response to that. And it's been incredibly successful so far with over 400 women enrolling so far um, and an, an incredibly thriving community. Uh, when did you start the Academy? So that started in 2020. So okay. just over two years ago now. Oh, wow. So 400 people already. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Are men interested in the Home Recording Academy? I do sometimes have men ask about it. I mean, I, I also have sometimes um, people kind of posting trolley comments as well, saying that it's sexist. Oh. I run it. Um, and I think that most men understand, um, you know, the, the value of that space and why that space is needed and that hopefully we won't need spaces like that forever. But right now, it's um, one of the most effective ways to help women learn these skills in a non-judgmental and supportive environment. So men are not enrolled? No, so it's just for women. Um, it's for women and that includes trans women because trans women are women and also AFAB non-binary peoples as well. So it's people who have that experience of whether being misgendered or correctly gendered female in those spaces. Okay. Coming back to uh, your point about the culture, one of my favorite episodes of Girls Twiddling Knobs is number 56, I believe. It's titled Being Assertive in Music Tech Spaces. And oh, yeah. I'll put a link to the episode in the show notes for Metapod listeners. But in this episode, you unpack incredibly neatly 
several quite <laughs> dense issues for women, which are at the cross-section of a lot of things, social psychology, creativity, collaboration, education, technology, industry. You, you outline the problem, which in this case is practicing assertiveness, and you offer a way forward. Does your advice work for listeners and what kind of feedback do you receive? Yeah. So like, I mean, obviously that's, well, not obviously, but for anyone that's listening, as we're recording this, that's quite a recent one. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know. I mean, if anyone has used those techniques that it's helped, do let me know. Um, But but yeah, I do. I do regularly have people emailing me saying, you know, this has totally transformed the way I'm approaching my music or this has helped me to feel way less alone or you know I, I definitely am seeing that the podcast is having a really really positive impact um it's hard for me to measure like whether people actually go away and use specific techniques that I recommend or but I hope that in its entirety when people listen to the podcast it builds up to yeah to that combination of having some techniques that they have under their like up their sleeve um also not feeling so alone and also just better understanding what might be contributing to um well not just this like so not better understanding what might might be contributing to their if they've had negative experiences in the industry but also helping them to feel really excited about all the creative possibilities of music technology too so i i guess i kind of see it as it's all if you ingest that every week <laughs> hopefully that starts to make you know that kind of positive difference um, even in a small way. I don't think you need to be a musician or audio engineer to benefit from many of the topics you're covering in the podcast, and particularly that episode would be beneficial to anyone that's struggling in a collaborative situation at work, or you know they don't feel like they're being taken seriously or allowed to participate fully or get credit. Um, are there places outside of the music industry where you're looking for inspiration on how to approach these dynamics yeah well I mean before I um before I started you know the podcast and I should say the podcast and the course Home Recording Academy that it's all part of this larger resource that I have called the female DIY musician you know Mm -hmm. so that's the website if anyone wants to go and find out more about everything that I'm doing under that brand or that name but before I started that I actually studied um for a couple of, I know it was a year, I studied counselling um, skills. And I also studied for a shorter period of time, I studied coaching at Guildhall School of Music and Drama. And um, and those have really, it, you know, fed into then what I offer on the podcast as well, because um, a lot of this is about um, being able to understand ourselves and other people and being able to yeah, come at this from this perspective of being a human, I guess. Mm-hmm. So that influences the podcast a lot. And then I would say just other podcasts that I listen to in terms of understanding how to to frame things or interview people or I mean, I, I'm not I have to say I'm not a big podcast geek. I don't listen to loads of podcasts, but the ones that I have listened to. I mean, particularly like again, I'm not a big podcast geek, so this is um a really really obvious one. But Fern Cotton's Happy Place, if anyone's listened to that, just the way that she explores lots of topics, but she lets the the interviewee lead the conversation, you know. So um, 
I do I am influenced by other podcasts in terms of how I structure or approach those conversations too. So you've talked about gaslighting, imposter syndrome, a lot of other challenging dynamics for women in the music industry, but I think in general. And you have a very nice way of putting to words these dynamics and feelings that can be very difficult for people to pinpoint, to quantify, or simply just get out of their head. And how do you decide on an issue to cover in the podcast? And what's your process for tackling that? Well, I often kind of try and take the lead by the listeners Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, listening. So I have a, a Facebook community, the Girls Twiddling Knobs podcast community. And so I'll often kind of um, I'll ask questions in the group and see what kind of reactions people come back with. And and that will give me ideas for what might be some of the biggest challenges um, that are that women are facing, especially. And I really focus it especially on women who maybe don't feel confident to kind of own the term of producer or engineer or women who maybe um, haven't even started using this stuff because I really want this to make a positive change in terms of the amount of women who are getting into music technology so I try and um, I try and really have my ear to the ground on what might be contributing to that gender imbalance. What would you say is women's position in the music industry at this moment, and or maybe music technology, if that maybe narrows it down? Yeah, I think that... Um, so women's position in the music industry, like a lot of entertainment industries, is probably, you know, still decades behind other more regulated industries, you know, in that there's been so much that's been allowed to just go under the radar very often people don't have a human resources department when they're a freelance musician you know etc mm-hmm. etc um so a lot of the stuff that we've seen come out particularly in hollywood with the me too movement is rife in music too and that's obviously on the extreme end of the scale and then there's just everything to do with not being taken seriously being patronized being mansplained being gaslit etc etc so that's still all the case that's still happening what's much better is that there's more conversations being had and people are it's become fashionable now to have these conversations so I've always been talking about this stuff and (laughs) even when I was you know 18 I've been talking about this stuff Mm -hmm. um I've only seen in the last five years it's been fashionable to be able to talk about it and I don't think I would have launched this podcast you know more than five years ago I just don't think people would have really received it or been ready for it maybe certainly mm-hmm. 10 years ago um so I think that's a really positive change I've seen in music but in, in general but in music I am seeing there's more organizations that are set up for women gender minorities um there's more resources and there's more conversations being had um I think in terms of music technology, it's um you know it's it's different again it's even more uh, there's this statistic that gets used a lot but that 2% of all the music produced in the top 100 charts in America when that the survey was taken in 2019 or something 2% of those records were produced by women and i don't think that's will have changed very much you know mm-hmm. Um, it's something like only 
oh, I don't want to I don't want to give statistics and then they're wrong but um within the last five years I think when the in here in the UK when the performing rights society surveyed their members only something like 15 percent were female and that's just songwriting so there's a big disparity there gender wise when it comes to composing and producing and making effectively having control over how music gets made and what music gets made women are still very 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 much in the minority and you're much more likely to experience you know um less pay than your male counterparts you're more likely to experience sexual harassment i think that in comparison to other fields where there's more regulation there's more kind of protocol and bureaucracy it's it's far behind still and i also think there can be an issue where people see a lot more conversations happening so it appears like there's big change happening but in reality those numbers still aren't changing or those experiences aren't you know still aren't getting better or as good as they should be we've had some guests comment on um, i'm thinking of Helena Rafai, who does the podcast A Sonic Hug, which is talking about mental health, and she's talked to quite a few musicians, and this broad issue in the music industry that there is not a really strong recognition that that's work, that's work, mm. and I think I'm hearing that in when you're speaking about maybe industries that are more regulated. What do you think women in particular want most to change about the music industry? Well, um, I think that they want to be able to have a career that um, that is not just designed around a 20-year-old white man and their lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big one, you know, like there's a, there's a reason. <laughs> um, or actually I should say, or on behind the scenes, a 55 year old white man who has a wife at home who maybe does a lot of housework and puts up with him traveling around all over the country. <laughs> I think a lot of women would like the industry to not be designed around those experiences and that you could be a 33 year old woman with two young children and still participate or you could be a 55 year old woman with grown-up children and maybe caring responsibilities for a parent and still participate or someone who is 16 and has a disability and can't just fling themselves on anybody's couch every night to do some touring for no money you know <laughs> so <laughs> there's so many there's so many experiences in music that just are not given any space and therefore there's talent that doesn't get to get to kind of surface and um not just that but also with you know people and and women a lot of the time are put in really difficult positions because there isn't that financial security there is there aren't those structures and you're expected to you're expected to behave like a 20 year old white guy even if you don't want to with skinny you know, jeans with skinny jeans yeah <laughs> and not to be horrible to 20 year old white guys you know that's fine it's just if everyone's expected to be wanting that kind of lifestyle and to be putting up with that kind of lifestyle and to be happy with those kinds of pressures or expectations, that's obviously not going to work for everyone. You mentioned a few minutes ago that there are more conversations happening 
about these issues and changes that need to take place or should take place, but and that may give the illusion that something is changing and perhaps it's not. I mean, what do you think is the next thing needed to take that to the next level or increase the momentum of change? I think um, one thing that I see happening is um, people are becoming more conscious of these disparities, but there's still not enough conversation happening with minorities about how you overcome them. So, um, for example, you know, I see there's more um, universities now saying in job applications for music production tutors, you know, women are very encouraged or, you know, women and gender minorities are very encouraged to apply for this position. But there isn't enough discussion happening about, but why might women and gender minorities not be applying for that position? Mm. And you're only going to find that out if you talk to women and gender minority musicians. And, you know, if somebody asked me, I would say, well, it's probably because a lot of women are going to look at that job description and think I can't do 30 to 40 percent of those tasks. Although, you know, I can't I don't know if 30 to 40 percent of that technology, therefore I can't apply. Whereas if you said if there's anything on this job description that you don't have experience in, we are an institution that is dedicated to training our staff and we will make sure that you have support in mm. learning these skills. You know, so as a woman, I'm going to be like, oh, okay, I don't have to be an expert in everything. Okay, then I, and they will support me in learning this and it will be totally fine if I don't know everything, but I can do most of that stuff, so I'm going to apply. You know, whereas I know that for a lot of guys in music technology, they might think, Oh, I would I would never have thought that that would put a woman off applying because for a woman, you're going to be again the the person in the room saying, I don't know how to do this thing. And then you feel like you're just adhering to that stereotype and everyone's going to roll their eyes and say we should never have employed a woman. Mm. So I think it's those what may to other people seem like subtle nuances, but they're really important in actually creating change. Are there issues outside of the UK that are very different? Let's just say women working in music technology. Are there, you know, some outlier issues in other countries that you're aware of that are not an issue in the UK or, or vice versa? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, I don't think I'd be able to list them on all of my fingers and toes. But one that I can think of is obviously if you are making music or trying to get into something like this in a country that is in a, a war, you know, is mm -hmm. in a conflict. One of my podcast guests, Nilsa Khan, she is from um, Beirut. Her family's from Beirut, okay. um, which has obviously experienced a lot of conflict. And so, you know, talking to her, it was really obvious that, yes, there are lots of issues to do with being a woman, but there's also the issues of just trying to have a career in a city, in a country that is, you know, really, really um, dangerous. Mm -hmm. And um, and that those opportunities just are not going to be there. And that there's other issues that you're having to deal with, like surviving yeah. and healing from incredible trauma. So. And and that goes, actually, I would say for countries like uh, Northern Ireland, which I spent 10 years living in Belfast and after the troubles, but still, you know, whenever you have a conflict like that, it just makes so many other things to do that we take for granted. Just it gets put on, the, you know, number 10 
20 on the to-do list when you're just trying to be able to go to school and not be hurt. Mm -hmm. So I think there's that. Um, There's obviously, you know, things to do with different countries' economies, religions, um, so many reasons why women in other countries would have compounding challenges. Is there a new issue that you see coming up maybe in the next few years that the industry's not ready to handle or nobody's talking about? From a UK point of view, I think what we're seeing with the cost of living crisis that's going on here mm-hmm. is massive. And I think that that's going to be, that's going to really impact everything, including music. I think already, you know, people are com- rightly commenting on how music has become um, a pastime of the elite. And, you know, if you want to have a career in music, it really helps if you have a trust fund and someone can support you, you know, doing that and building up a career because you're not going to get paid. It's become so devalued. But now I think with the cost of living crisis, it's becoming, it's going to become even worse. Mm-hmm. Um I think there's some interesting things that are going to have to happen with universities. And obviously that's going to affect how people learn music and the kind of music people can learn. Um, I think that the university system is, to put it mildly, incredibly challenged. And I don't know where that's going to go. Can I you don't give know an where. example of that? Um, just that because in the UK, because of the way that the the way universities are funded changed when they introduced fees. Um, And that has kept getting even, you know, even more the case that the fees are getting bigger and the funding for for universities is getting smaller. So it means that universities are basically, to put it really bluntly and simply, have become more like a business. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's about getting bums on seats. And if there's courses where those seats aren't being filled then those courses will get amalgamated into something else or cut entirely. And, you know, then the role of a lecturer, for example, has changed an immense amount. The idea now that you get time to research, like actually research, is laughable, really. I mean, some people do and all lecturers supposedly do, but with the amount of admin and the amount of other work that you now take on because of this change in the structure all of that's changed so much so that this I mean it's a very complex issue but just to kind of say therefore there is a type of knowledge that may be lost music included because if it's not getting enough bums on seats and if lecturers aren't able to have the time to research it and explore it then it means everyone's learning a popular music course about becoming famous, which there's nothing wrong with people doing that. But if that's the only option or if that's the main option that is left, that's a problem. And I think that's something that we, you know, who knows how that's going to affect the industry. Do you think universities are at risk for the hand of corporations and and their interests and influences? Um, I mean, that's, Absolutely not something that I know enough about, really. But I mean, yes, absolutely. You know, um, and I know that there's some universities that you know they they are like the the vice chancellor might be you know a businessman or also funded heavily funded by less so in the UK, but heavily funded by a 
a, a billionaire businessman or something like that. Or Spotify or yeah. Amazon Music. Yeah. The I Amazon mean, I Music professor of sonic arts, for instance. <laughs> Is this something of the in the next few years that we can expect, do you think? Well, do you so do you mean that there would be courses in that? Is that what you mean? I guess I'm thinking more on American terms and how corporate America does tend to put its hand in places in the name of philanthropy, um, you know, naming a, a professorship at a college or okay. an arena or stadium, these types of things. But mm -hmm. yeah, when that starts coming into the realm of education, I suppose, you know, there are some influences and interests that might be at hand. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think this is where like, I'm not an expert on this and I, and that's not been my experience of UK universities personally, yeah. but of course. Yeah. And, and I think that the more the system is changing in the UK, the more universities will be forced to look at options like that yeah. to survive. What types of actions, you know, can I think consumers on the one hand, and then I'm, I'm going to pinpoint men, what kind of things can men or consumers of music do to contribute towards positive change in the industry for women? I mean, they are fathers, educators, mentors. Are there any practical things you'd like to ask them to do? Yeah, um, I think definitely sharing with women that they don't have to be amenable. That's a massive thing. I think I'm thinking about from the point of view of like family members, parents, mm -hmm. um, teachers, you know, when a girl or a woman is young, that you really instill in them, they do not have to be amenable. They do not have to be the social lubricant that holds everything together because that really does disadvantage a lot of women in that they find it very hard to then set boundaries to, you know, have that that self-respect self self-esteem self of not going against what they maybe feel inside and instead making things nice and comfortable for other people so I think that's a big thing I mean that's a big societal thing but I think that's massively I see that impacting women in music um obviously as a consumer you know making sure that you um support women who are especially independent women you know, especially women who are not signed to a big record label or are, you know, even if they're signed to a label that they're producing their own music or they're they're doing something that means they've had to really maybe take some risks or go against the grain of what's expected of them. If you can support women who are making music in that way, I think that's really powerful. Um, and obviously not just streaming their music, but buying their merch and sharing their music and um, not just passively listening that's really important as well so i'm gonna move to a rapid fire round of questions okay if you will entertain <laughs> me sure and um we'll start with the last live show that you went to oh oh my god um the rapid fire round is never as rapid as we oh, are sorry no <laughs> I think it might have actually been my friend Talis Rene who did a gig in Hastings. Okay. Do you have a favorite new artist? Yes. I have many favorites. Whether they're new, I don't know. I really love Lucy Gooch. I really love Fatima Al Qadiri. I really love Gazelle Twin. 
and a producer that you admire? Uh, all of the people I just mentioned. Okay. <laughs> I really like um, also FKA Twigs. Her first, um, I think it's called LP1. I really like the production on that. Do you have any new music coming soon? I do, actually. Um, okay. So... I have started putting together, I'm doing a performance, my first performance in years, in about four years, actually. Okay. Um, and it's going to be on this, this Saturday night. And it's using um, synthesizers and a tape machine. And it's with this alter ego that I have now called Sally. Okay. And she's a blue alien. And so it's a kind of way of me exploring different things to do with being human or not human I guess and it's using samples from the reality tv show botched about two plastic surgeons in Los Angeles. Are there stage costumes and you know set design or? No set design for this one um it's going to be quite low-key but yeah there is a costume so she's got blue skin um she dresses all in pastels she has a a white she has white hair and um yeah and I'm actually making her some some additions to her costume a kind of collar with a bow which is purple and yellow so yeah she's all colorful okay well good luck with that and I hope to maybe see a YouTube video of it yeah we'll see certainly <laughs> some certainly some documentation on Instagram super all right, Isabel Anderson of Girls Twiddling Knobs, it's been really lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining me on Metapod. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Isabel for an open and honest conversation. Like I said, I don't think you need to be a musician, producer, or audio engineer to benefit from some of the conversations featured on Girls Twiddling Knobs. Anyone interested in becoming more aware of the dynamics in collaborative work might be interested to hear some of her suggestions on how to make small changes to improve those working relationships. A great episode of Girls Twiddling Knobs to go to is number 56, and it's all about practicing assertiveness. If you'd like to learn more about Isabel or her alter ego, Sally, check out the show notes at metapodshow.com or go to isabelanderson.com. Metapod would like to feature more women in music podcasts, so if you are such a person or know of someone to suggest, drop a note via Twitter at The Metapod Show or contact us at metapodshow.com. Just a quick thank you to listeners who sent in feedback after the last episode with Beatles guru Robert Rodriguez. Much appreciated. There are a few interesting guests coming soon to Metapod, including Annalisa and Relay of a new podcast called Good Nicks, and that explores the journey and meaning of doing good in the world. We also have David Pietrakowski of For Keeps, which is a show about collectors and their collections. If you remember Marissa Bridge from the Apology Line podcast, that was episode 21 of Metapod, you might be interested to know that Marissa discusses her late husband's apology collection on an episode of the Four Keeps podcast. An apology collection means years worth of telephone message recordings from a social art project in New York City during the 1980s. It's fascinating stuff. So again, that's the apology line in episode 21 of Metapod. Okay, that's all for now. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Thank you.
That's it for Metapod this time. Thanks for listening. Metapod will be back soon with another unpacking of the web's most interesting podcasts. But in the meantime, make sure to subscribe at any of the usual places you find your other favourite podcasts. We'd hate for you to miss upcoming episodes, and we'd love it if you left us a review. You can let us know what you think of this episode by going to metapodshow.com. We'll see you next time. This episode of Metapod was recorded, edited, and produced by me, Wendy Morrill.